Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of somebody's journey through their life and their financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Today's guest is Krista Goodrich. Krista is a serial entrepreneur and an investor who become, became self-made a millionaire before she was even 40. She combines her background in financial services, insurance, real estate investing, and more with a unique fe- female and I would say highly entertaining point of view to explain personal finance in an approachable way. So I thought we have a lot in common. So when Krista approached me, Regarding her book, I couldn't resist this podcast. So join me in listening to The Boss Lady Investor, Krista Goodrich. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now, on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Well, Krista, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for so so much. First of all, thank you for sending me your book. And thanks for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Um, I cannot wait to dig into your book. The book for the listeners is The Boss Lady Investor. You don't need a bleep to understand money. <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you figure out what the bleep is. You can go out to Amazon and look it up. Um, and we do have one book that we are going to be giving away to listeners. Um, whoever reaches out to us first and asks for it will get a a free copy of the book. We ordered a couple extras to have on file. The whole team here um, has actually read the book. We laughed, we joked, we kind of made it our book of the the month club. So we're very excited about that. And um, I can't wait to dig into your journey to know um, a little bit more about you and you know, how your quote unquote vineyard was formed in coming to the level of this book. And, uh, but before we get started, I always ask my guests, what is your favorite wine? So um, my favorite wine, it's going to be a twofold answer and it's going to be a region. So I am really into South African wines right now. And in particular, their Sauvignon Blancs are incredible. And um, the Shiraz is really good too. Mm, Very peppery. Um, So those are my two current favorites. I switch. I mean, Cabernet is always a top player for me. I'm more of a Cabernet and red wine drinker than white wine, but I live in Florida and it's hot. And so white wine has definitely made its way into my life. Uh, So I like the Fernhook. Now I told you South African, but Fernhook's (laughs) New Zealand. Um, But I like the Fernhook. Sauvignon Blanc is also a really easy one to get. The South Africans are a little more difficult to get right now. Well, Total Wines carry something. They do. They do. Total Wines does an ABC package does too. Um, just a matter of if I want to drive there, just go to the grocery store. <laughs> so Krista, tell the listeners, where in Florida do you live? So I live in Daytona Beach and I total accident did not ever want to live here. I wanted to live at the beach, but not particularly this beach. And now it's where I'll always call home. Like I'll, I own properties in other places as well, but this will always be my home base. I love it. I think it's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to invest. And 
you know, my husband is flying back today from Minneapolis and he texted me this morning. It was 16 degrees <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't share with him that it was basically already 80 here. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I'm counting the days to get back down to Florida, uh, for our, our winter home. And, um, it was, uh, 22 this morning, uh, when we got up and white, very yeah. white. Lots of snow. I heard it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so, I have about a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yesterday I saw the cold front coming through and we had a cold front too. It got to, um, I think 76. <laughs> so it was a good day to have a mid-afternoon dog, which we don't get to do that that often because it's so warm. Yeah. But yeah, we love it. We've got a home down here. It's, it's just great. So I love living here. I'm so happy to be here. And this community has been incredibly supportive of me and the things I'm doing. So I want to get into that because um, one of the things, so you you said you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book so that I could read through it. And I, like I said, I laughed uh, well, really well written, very easy to read. Um, I, th- I think a um, little bit of humor thrown in there, which, you know, I love uh, whenever I'm reading a book, but it reads more like a pleasure book than it does a um, self-help or educational book. Yeah. And I, I would love to to have the listeners know, um, as, as I always say, you know, how did your roots get planted and how did your vineyard get formed? So if you wouldn't mind just taking us through a little bit about your life and how money has come into play with your life and, and why you ended up writing this book. Sure. So I grew up middle income. Um, I don't have a terrible story to tell you about that. I grew up in a gutter or anything terrible like that, but I also didn't grow up with a silver spoon. Um, money, like most families, just wasn't something we talked about in my house. And in fact, I remember that um, when I asked my parents to fill out my FAFSA form for college, my dad didn't even want to fill it out because he didn't oh, wow. his yeah, financial information. And so, um, but I, for, I don't know if it was an inherent gene that was put in me or whatever, but I, at a very young age, loved selling and loved money. Um, I don't like selling in a traditional sense. So I'm not like, I could, I wouldn't be a very good salesperson. That's not my calling in life, but I do like offering a product that I think people can enjoy. So at eight years old, that happens to be Girl Scout cookies. Um, and so I was the top selling Girl Scout cookie rep in Georgia that year, which was really cool. And then that got me all kinds of badges and it was just really rewarding to go out and do the work and get the rewards, which again, wasn't money at the time. It was a Girl Scout cookie badge. So did that and realized I liked it. So the next summer I started um, doing a bake sale at our neighborhood pool every year. We had a pool, but it's not like the fancy pools nowadays. There was no vending area. There wasn't slides or anything, but um, people were hungry and thirsty when they went to the pool. And so I spent three days with my friend Jenna baking cookies. And um, (laughs) it's the only thing I knew how to do, you know, at that age. And so I spent all this time baking cookies and then um, got uh, one of those giant igloo coolers from McDonald's and filled that up and did a bake sale. And the first time I did it, we made $400. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it was like, everyone loved it. And it was, it was really awesome. So I got very excited about money. Then I had all this, you know, for that age, that was, I was like a millionaire. And so then I decided there's more ways to make money. So I created a babysitter club and I had all these, you know, we were all reading the babysitter club books and I had all these kids that were under me that I gave them all the rules and I got a percentage of their babysitting. (laughs) It's like, you know, this little entrepreneurial spirit. But that was just in me. My parents were not entrepreneurs at that time. They are now. And so I just kind of went with it. And then when I got to college, I went, I studied, I love school. I graduated with two degrees in three years and got out into the working world and just didn't even know, you know, what kind of job to get, where to start. And randomly, I'll make the story short, but I randomly got hired by a mutual fund company. And when I went into interview... Um, I remember they asked me, you know, what my investment strategies were. And I'm like 22 years old. I had no investment, like hopefully pay my rent (laughs) investment strategy. Um, and so they hired me and I was working with people with degrees from Yale and Harvard and my degree was from East Tennessee state. It wasn't anything fancy. And so I think I maybe felt inadequate. So I started devouring the books they had, the knowledge they had, the resources the company had. Mm -hmm. And I started learning about investing. And then I started talking to my girlfriends about it. 
they didn't really seem to be that excited. So <laughs> um, all of the books I read at that age were, the first book was by um, David Bach. It's called Smart Finished Rich. It's a really good book. And then I read all the Robert Kiyosaki books and I kept reading all the stuff, but every book was written by a man. And these books were interesting to me because I liked the topic. But if you don't like the topic of finance, they were very not interesting to most women. And so it just bothered me. It bothered me in my 20s that um, there were no books for women, you know? So I always wanted to do it, but I never had the time because I was building my empire. And then this past year and a half ago, it took me a year and a half to write the book. Um, I was able to work with Grace, my co-author, and she really helped me nail down the time and figure out the outline of what I needed to do and get the book actually written. So I'm glad you noticed that it was written in that format because that was the whole idea is women don't like reading textbooks. We don't like reading analytical things. And most CNN reports, Fox News reports, all of it, they're written for men. And so we don't get interested in it. And then we just stick our head in the sand and don't pay attention to finances. If you, even when I say to women, oh, I wrote a book on investing, they're like, hmm, that sounds boring. But when they actually read it, and, I, and that's why the title is funny too, is I had to have something catchy to say, hey, it's fun. It's, you know, a very light um, temper to it. And so I wanted it to be more relatable. Like that's why we talk about coach purses and that's my sex life in there. And, you know, I talk about things that, you don't find in most finance books, but that's what women like to talk about. If I tell someone, hey, I've been married three times, girls want to know the story about that. But if I say, hey, I invest in my IRA, they're not that interested. So I had to find a way to combine the two. And so that's that's where it came from. And I had a few friends that, um, as you read in the book, one of my friends lost her husband and was completely unprepared on how to deal with her finances. Um, still to this day, 90% of my girlfriends don't have retirement plans. That's not a concrete number. I made that number up, but a lot of them <laughs> don't have retirement plans. Or if they do, they don't know what's in them. Um, my girlfriends with children may or may not have life insurance. And I just think we're better than that. I think, you know, even the recession showed us that all these men that were handling the finances, they don't, they don't know what they're doing either. They're not smarter than we are about it. They just have... Uh, more of a risk person. Men typically have a higher risk profile. So they're willing to invest and take the risks that we're not. But when we do invest, we're better than them at it. And studies have shown that when women do take the time to enroll in their 401k plans or put money in their IRA and they have, whether it's age-based, you know, target date-based funds or whether it's just point and click, um, they tend to be better investors because they don't, they don't go in and try to time the market. Right. And they, they go in and set it. Yeah. They, we go in and we, we put our investments in and then we don't, it's not something we want to think about. So we don't, mm -hmm. you know, we leave mm -hmm. it. And, um, when I worked in the stock market, I got licensed in all kinds of crazy things such as managed futures, which nobody oh my gosh. to know about. Like, I, very few people on the planet need to trade in pork barrels. <laughs> but when I would tell men that I'm licensed in managed futures, they're like, ooh, that's cool. And they wanted to invest in it, which they really had no business doing. So I very infrequently almost never recommended that. But again, that it's a, that risk profile of, oh, yeah, I'll try that. But they're going to probably not make money at it versus a woman. If you say, hey, just put in you know, your 529 plan, put in an age-based portfolio for your kid set it and forget it, 18 years later, you're probably going to have a mm -hmm. balance for your kid to go to college. And, and they're savers too. I mean, that's the thing. Like it's, it's, it's that consistency in savings yep. that they often um, latch onto. And therefore, you know, that growth is there for them as a general rule as well. So yeah, um, I was reading one, I flagged a couple sections of your book because I thought they were, they were really good. One thing that I loved about the book or one comment I loved about the book, it was actually pretty early on on page 29. Um, you, you write about giving yourself a fun allowance. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I find in a lot of the other books that I read about finance books that I read, we talk about budgeting. Every book I've ever read about finance talks about budgeting. But one of the things that you 
you really drive home is the fact that you want to give yourself a little bit of a reward by having a fun allowance. And just to just to quote um, something that you said, it says how much you want to give yourself depends on how quickly you want to get the part of your life where you no longer worry, right? Less now equals more later, but, but you're not judging people. And one of the things that I find a lot of my clients say to me when they first start working with me and I talk to them about, you know, having a conversation with their money, they look at me like I'm weird, first of all, but then basically what I'm saying is, you know, you need to, you need to decide how each dollar is going to be spent. And some of that money needs to be on fun or else it's like a diet. If you tell yourself you're never going to eat ice cream again, what do you want? You want ice cream, right? You crave ice cream. All you can think about. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you say I'm never going to go out to dinner for the next two years, you are setting yourself up to fail. Yep. But if you set aside a little bit of fun allowance and you give yourself permission, you enjoy it, right? Yeah. And I, you do, right? So I remember when I first started my practice. I went out independent, right? We cut out everything, everything in our budget that was extra, except I had to have some money in there for my wife. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was willing to give up everything else. My pedicures, my manicures, my grays came through. I was willing to give up everything, except I had to budget I reduced it, but I had to budget a little bit for wine because that's my pleasure. I love a glass of wine at night, especially on a Friday night, right? So I love that point that you brought home because I think often we we feel guilty when we do that. Sure. And and we also are so guilty of comparing ourselves to others and social media Mm -hmm. exacerbated that problem tremendously. When I was in my young 20s, always liked wine. Um, I've just have always have, but <laughs> I can't imagine this now. I would, it'd be terrible. But at 22, I would buy for the, for my wine, those giant gallons of, um, I think it's Ernst Gallo. <laughs> yeah, Gallo, I was going to say. <laughs> it was, um, there was a, it's, there's a red one called Paisano. And now it probably tastes like fruit juice. If I drank it now, I'd probably not be able to do it. But at 22, my taste buds were different and my budget was different. So I, that would be my reward was me and my girlfriend, Nikki, we were both just starting off in life, both working hard. Um, she was a single mom. And so we were trying to save money and we would just hang out on Friday and Saturday night and watch movies at my house and drink Paisano wine. And we still laugh about it to this day. <laughs> I don't know if I could do one glass of it, but you know, 10 years ago, so you know, I'm in my forties now, in my twenties, it was Paisano. 10 years ago, Woodbridge might've been something that I heard a, a special treat for myself. And I remember I argued with uh, me and same friend, Nikki argued with another friend. She would buy $20 bottles of wine and we're like, Oh my gosh, that's such a waste of money. I can't believe you spend that. And now in this part of my life, that that's nothing, you know, but if I had been 22 and expected to drink a $60 bottle of wine, I wouldn't be 41 able to drink a six dollar mm-hmm. bottle of wine without worrying about it. Mm-hmm. So I able. Yeah. And I did cut out, like I didn't get my nails done all the time when it was a special treat when I did, I didn't um, very infrequently got my toes done. I, my friends were going to the tanning bed. I worked out at home. I didn't work out at a gym. I, as you maybe know, fitness has always been a big thing for me. Even to this day, I'm currently not a member of a gym. I I've got a mm-hmm. gym in my garage and I use that because it's faster transportation it's economical and I can work out at my pace and not compare myself to others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That comparison piece is a big deal. It's yeah, It's huge. You, yeah. you know, I, I have a dock in my backyard, so I live on the intercoastal. It's awesome, but there's no boat on that dock. And yes, could we absolutely tomorrow go out and finance and not any boat we wanted, but pretty close to any boat we wanted. We could, it's not how we budget. We pay cash for fun items. And so mm-hmm. until we have enough cash for the boat we want, the dock will just be a dock to sit and look at the sunset on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope women of all ages keep that in mind that just because the people around you have things doesn't mean you have to have that. And it doesn't mean you should have that and you shouldn't pressure yourself. So. Right. 
Right. And I, in the conversations that I will often have is, you know, people will sometimes come to me and say, what am I doing wrong? Cause I'm looking at the people around me and they're going on these massive vacations and they're buying these, you know, big houses and these SUVs. And I'll listen to them talk about all of these things. And I'll say, well, how important are they to you? Yeah. You know, what do you want? And Remember, you're not seeing their bank account. (laughs) So they may have all these things, but you may have more in retirement savings than they do. But you also have to take into consideration, is that what you want? Right. You know, and and it's more about they want to know what they're doing wrong because they think I'm doing all the right things and they actually are doing the right things. Um, But they just see what other people are doing and and wonder. And I, I, you know, so when we stop comparing ourselves. So hard for especially the younger girls of if you look online everyone has a coach purse everyone has designer clothes Mm -hmm. there's no way 25 year old girls can afford that and but they think they're supposed to and my daughter she two christmases ago i said you know what do you want for christmas and she said i want um oh and my friends will laugh at me because i messed this name up she said i want tori birch sandals and i said well what do those look like (laughs) because i thought the design (laughs) of the sandal not the name of the sandal designer. Mm-hmm. And so she told me, no, mom, it's the designer. I'm not into designer clothing. It's not my, it's just not my thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my thing. So I went to the um, mall and was looking for these Tory Burch flip, they're flip flops. And Tiana's 21 years old. Oh, that's her real name. I changed it in the book. Um, <laughs> oops. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, I looked at for these sandals. They're $200 flip flops. You're, you don't need $200 flip-flops when you're 21 years old. So I came home and I said, why do you, why do you want those? What, what makes you think you need these flip-flops? Do your feet hurt? Do you have heel spurs? What's up? And she said, well, all my friends have them. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, well, we can, we can do that. I can get you that as part of your Christmas, but I do a certain amount of budget for Christmas. So if you get that, you're going to get like three items total, mm-hmm. or I can do your regular Christmas. And so she thought about it and came back and said, okay, don't get the Tory Burch sandals because I can get knockoffs for 50 bucks and they're just as cute. Mm-hmm. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing. But again, it was, it's not that she, if she had never seen anyone with Tory Burch sandals, it wouldn't have been some shit. Yeah. So it's not yeah. out there. Well, you know, another piece that I wanted to point out in your book that was really interesting to me, and it was interesting to me, two reasons. Um, one is that I just met, um, just started working with a client and she was really hesitant to work with a financial planner because um, she had actually been told years ago when she sat down with another financial planner, um, she had just gone through a divorce and she was um, trying to figure out what to do with her life. And the financial planner actually said to her, you need to marry for money. Hmm. Well, you know, I have an interesting take on Mary for money. <laughs> you do. And I, and it was the timing of when I read that book, when I read your book and when I met this new client was, I, I guess, ironic because it was around the same time. Right. And I, when she told me that my jaw dropped because I couldn't, I couldn't believe somebody would actually say that. And it wasn't that long ago. Like right. it wasn't, you know, and so I didn't, I didn't ask who the planner was that she worked with. You don't know how bad I want you to, but I didn't ask. All I said was, well, that's not going to be the terminology that I use. Right. Right. (laughs) But, but you do have an interesting take. And I, I was, um, I was leafing through the book at first when I got it and I saw that chapter and it was right around the fern. So I had to, of course, stop and read it because it was just so ironic. So yes, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that particular topic. (laughs) So I have married a few times and um, none of those times did I actually marry for money, as you know. Um, In hindsight, um, it's a huge factor in your relationships of how you manage money. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to marry someone rich, but you do want to make sure your financial values are in line. The number two mm-hmm. divorce behind infidelity is money issues. Yeah. I think it actually has moved up to number one now, hasn't it? It could be, I haven't looked lately, but when I, yeah, when I started that chapter, it was, it was number two. And um, yeah, I would, I would imagine it's number one. Cause I think money's even a bigger issue than infidelity. But what I found with, so I, I've been married three times. My first husband was my college sweetheart. Super nice guy, but <laughs> he, I love in the book that you call him Owen Wilson. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was nice. He was fun. Like if you 
saw him at a bar, he'd be a good guy to have a beer with and chit chat and play darts with. But that should be about the end of it for a relationship for someone like me. He wasn't extremely driven, um, didn't have a lot of money values, and in fact, became a gambling addict. Again, still a nice guy. It's just, it's an addiction. And so he gambled away all of our money. And obviously that caused a lot of strain between us. So we eventually got divorced. And then I married for um, very shallow purposes on <laughs> the next one. Um, soon after I divorced him, my second husband I met and was he was smoking hot. Um, I couldn't believe he asked me out because I never got the hot guy like that. And then when we started dating, uh, I found out that he was really good in bed. <laughs> so um, he won me over with that. And I would love to tell a different story, but that is my story. And I'd never had that before. I never had, you know, most men, sorry, dudes, but they don't know what they're doing. And so <laughs> women, you know, when you, when you do find someone that knows what in the heck they're doing and you find out that sex can be really cool, that's very attractive. And he was very confident. And um, so, you know, I fell in love with him and ended up marrying him. But also our money values weren't in line. For example, when we started dating, he lived with his parents. I owned my own home. Obviously a red flag. You can read in the book all the lovely details on that. But when he got out of jail and I was still like a total moron waiting for him, he um, proceeded to try to take over my business. And we had very misaligned financial goals and values. And then there was also infidelity and other things. And we eventually got divorced. So then I decided I was never going to marry again. I clearly was not good at choosing men. Like I made great business decisions. I made great educational decisions. But when it came to decisions of the heart, I was just not good at it. I just wore my heart on my sleeve and I didn't know how to tell the good from the bad. So I dated and dated. And then I met um, Colin, my husband. And <laughs> before I was allowed to go on a second date with anyone, my girlfriends had this list of things that I was supposed to ask these questions because they didn't have <laughs> choices either. And um, we used to joke because I always said, well, the first question should be, do you own your own airplane? And then I'd you know, really get some cool dudes, but not, that obviously was not a question. Um, but it was a questionnaire about financial goals and values and making sure that we were on the same page and we did have the same dreams. And as big as I dream, so does he. And as much as I save, he saves more. And we like challenge each other with, oh, who saved more in their retirement plan this year? <laughs> you know, who invested the most and who found the most crazy um, real estate to purchase that returned the biggest. And it's fun. You know, we have fun doing it together. And we also have um, very open communication and talk about our challenges together. This past year, his income was reduced um, because of the, the field that he works in. There's been a little bit of a contraction. So he voluntarily reduced his income um, for his company. Well, when, then we had to talk about some things because it was, significant, it was a significant reduction. But we sat down and because of how we've structured our life, we're able to sell an asset if we need to or do whatever we need to do. And so we don't have that stress of, you know, in, in a lot of relationships, if someone loses a job or gets a reduction in income, that's a, you know, you can lose your house. You can, can be a big stressor. So it's just really important that when women date men and think about marrying men or women, it doesn't matter, um, that they talk about that in advance. It's not, not a topic that you should say for after the marriage. It's a marriage topic. You know, it's no different than if you want to have kids, like you should talk about it. Well, I was just going to say, that's funny that you actually compared it to having kids because I think it's equally as important, right? If you're on a different page about having children and you don't discover that until after you're married, it's a big deal. And finances, the, the personality, the money scripts, finance, you know, whatever you want to call it is really, really important too, because if one's a saver and one's a spender, it's always going to be a challenge. It's yeah. always going to be, and, and maybe one is a spender and one is a saver, but then if you know that up front and you can set some agreeable um, limits, I hate to use that word limits, but agreeable. Boundaries. It is boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries is a better word, I think. Um, you know, then at least you're on the same page right from the get go and nobody's, you know, buying something behind somebody's back or spending money behind you, you know, everybody's all on the same page. And that 
you know, well-rounded kids have parents that tend to agree with each other publicly, maybe not behind the scenes all the times, but publicly because, you know, they, they know that they can't go to mom and get one thing and, you know, go to dad for another thing that mom and dad are always going to agree. And if you're that same way around money, then that does the same thing, right? So as long as you're saving, as long as you're agreeing that you have the same money values, if if you have a his, hers, and ours account and it all works, then that's the important thing. And you've got to get that down before. Now, things happen. Like with your first husband, you know, you, you may have been on the same page closer, but then something happened and there was an addiction issue that kicked in. And there's always that chance I mean, always red flags. I mean, there were flags in college that I attributed to us being young and being in college Mm -hmm. where the older me is, it was pretty clear. And Mm -hmm. a lot of young girls and and a lot of girls in general, we, we love, love. Um, We all do. We all want to feel like someone loves us. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of excuses for our partners We're nurtured Mm -hmm. and we can help them. And I was the same, you know, I just, I made a lot of excuses and most of the, the people you talk to when they get divorced and they look back, you can usually see some of the things that were definitely red flags, mm-hmm. but it is something you have to talk about. And, um, you know, you don't hear people say, Oh, we got divorced because I wanted to have kids and he didn't because they've talked about it beforehand. Right. You know? Right. So, and, and you're right. You can still be opposites can attract. You don't have to both be savers or both be spenders. Two spenders actually might, might not work very good at all. Um, but if you've got, you know, someone that does enjoy spending and shopping and those kind of things, that's okay. There's, everyone has their thing. Like I talk about, I love working out. I love wakeboarding. I love going out um, to nice dinners. That's my thing. Well, if you like shopping, if that's your thing, that's fine. As long as you know your boundaries. And if you're, right. you know, if you're upfront about it, then it can definitely work. And there's plenty of girlfriends I have that shop all the time and and they're fine. They're still saving for their retirement and their husbands are on board and not angry, but others that are creating financial disruption in their family, it's a different story. Yeah. Well, it goes back to that thing that we very first talked about is set some, set some fun money aside, right? Make sure that you have that. So, um, so I also want to talk about your podcast. You have a podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, this is an extension of the book. I'm assuming the very, um, the very first podcast was uh, chapter one, yep. right? So, um, so tell us a little bit about the um, journey to creating to, a podcast. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I get it, but listeners would probably love to hear why you decided to take it the next step and and start a podcast. Sure. So, when I wrote the book, I started it and said, if only my mom buys a copy. Um, which I don't think she has yet. So I got to yell at her for that. Um, but I said, if only my mom buys a copy, then that's fine. Um, or I really said, if I affect one woman positively, then I've accomplished my goal. If one woman's a better saver, if one woman is more confident with money, goal accomplished. And so then when I got writing it, I had a lot of questions about it. I had a lot of positive feedback. I had people that I haven't talked to in 30 years coming to me on Facebook, asking business advice or investing advice. And I just realized that I was fulfilling a need that was bigger than I knew. And and the book started to sell better than we'd anticipated. Mm-hmm. And um, I made 70th on Amazon on one day. Yay. So, um, <laughs> so that was really cool. And, you know, I'm looking around. I, it was my first time marketing a book. It was my first time building that type of business. And I listened to a lot of Audible books. And I listened mm-hmm. to a tremendous amount of podcasts. And I'm listening to all the podcasts I like. And I'm thinking, wait, if I'm listening to them taking their advice, and there's these people that are listening or reading my book and want my advice, why not add a podcast to it? How, mm-hmm. you know, how hard can it be? And so I was like, let me see if there's women out there that I can interview and hear some cool stories. And it just worked out that there were, that people like to tell their story. And they like, it's a nice platform for women that have accomplished something to get to share that mm-hmm. with others. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you do it in a general setting, you're braggadocious, right? Um, you're arrogant, you're boisterous, all that. But we shouldn't be afraid of celebrating our accomplishments and it shouldn't be arrogant to do so. So a podcast is actually a really nice way for me to offer that to other women. And it is a form of self-promotion for me as well. I don't want to say it's not. It helps me 
get people out there interested in the book and the people that have read the book that love it, that want to be part of my tribe, it keeps them connected. So I do have more books coming out in the Boss Lady Investors series, but that takes a long time and I don't want to lose their interest over that time. So yeah, yeah. and it's fun. I love it. I love podcasting with you. I love doing my own podcast. (laughs) It is is fun to get to know people. It's such an opportunity to get to know other people outside our normal circle, right? Outside of our normal everyday life. I mean, the people that I've interviewed in 80 plus episodes of our podcast, I'm just, and, and I never know when I'm going to reach back out to them at some point in time and say, Hey, I've got a client that's going through this situation. Can you help them? Right. I mean, that's a thing like the, the, the connections that you make on a podcast are amazing. And, and I do, I do believe a good, a good friend of mine and colleague in the profession, um, like Bartel, she made a comment one day, I'm, I'm horrible at accepting accolades. I I'd rather crawl under the desk than be publicly recognized for something. And it's, I don't know why it's a woman thing, I think, but, but I've never been comfortable, as you said, like, there's this image, like if you've achieved something and you're proud of it and, you know, you don't want to brag about that. Right. And, um, Meg, uh, made a comment one day that get over it. She just, you know, she was just get over it. Like if you've achieved something, you should be proud of it and you should tell people about it and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. Like get over it. Cause a guy won't right. A guy will, when they achieve something, they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, I did this. And it's not in a bragging boastful. That's just a factual. I did this. Yeah. And you know, she, I interpreted that comment to be, if you don't want to be treated different because you're a woman, don't act different because you're a woman. Right. Right. <laughs> and those were not her words, but that's how I interpreted it. And I love her every moment because of that. And, um, and appreciate. And I actually, in uh, Uncork Your Finances, you know, made, I, I, I quoted her because I thought it's important for women as a general rule to remember that if we don't toot our own horns, no one else is going to. <laughs> it's no. true. And, and I, there's some resistance. I, I was just talking yesterday to someone about this. Um, it's been interesting on this journey for me that, like I said, women have reached out to me that I haven't talked to in years and there are two in particular, I'm not going to name them, but um, reached out to me on Facebook separately. And these were women that 10 years ago um, we lived in the same neighborhood and they didn't like me. Like they just did not like me and I didn't have relationships with them. I didn't know why they didn't like me. They just didn't like me. And so I was saying yesterday, these two women have reached out and both apologized and neither one of them know each other. So it's completely separate apologized and thanked me for me being me. And they shared with me that they had low self-esteem during that time. They were going through difficult periods and someone like me who I'm very positive. I'm very happy all the time. And I do celebrate accomplishments and I do tell people when I've done things and I, I didn't realize that they, again, were seeing that as me bragging. I always looked at it as, Hey, like I was, I was a fat kid growing up. I was, and I wasn't very athletic. So when I, when I complete a Spartan race and I'm in top 10 finisher, I'm, what I'm thinking is, wow, if I can do that and I have no athletic background, I was not like, I was in the marching band, you know? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if I can do it, any one of you that's worried about it, that doesn't think you can do it, you can do it too. And that's how I thought I was putting it out into the world. For, and, and in my space, I was, but for women that were, that had low self-esteem, that were going through something, they're looking at me and they see this version of me. I'm physically fit and I'm celebrating this accomplishment. And oh, there she doesn't, she did it again and must be so nice to be her. And I didn't realize that's how I was mm-hmm. making people feel because it wasn't my intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been nice because over the years, they've seen what my intention actually was by following me on social media. And it, they came back and said, hey, Thanks to you, both of them said thanks to you. We're now one of them started her own business. Um, one of them said she sat down and gave herself some soul soul searching time and realized that she was spending so much time being angry at people like me that she wasn't making herself better. And so, Interesting. yeah, and and women we do that to each other. We, you know, if you see a girl that has a rock solid body, we think they're just born that way. We don't think they work for it. Or if you see someone that is 
you know, super wealthy, you think, oh, she must have married rich. Like we, we create these images of women that it's not true. And it, and it's because there's so few of us out there that are saying, Hey, this is what I did. And this is how I did it. And you can do it too. And so I'm, yeah. I think it's important that we do celebrate the things we accomplish and are proud of them. Yeah. I think sharing those successes too. So, you know, like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm of the believer if she sees it, she can be it. Right. So if people, if people see that we've accomplished certain things, then it may take them a while, you know, to see that it's an accomplishment and not that we're bragging, but eventually it's going to set in. And, and if we don't say it, if we don't put it out there, then they don't know that they can do it. And so I think that that's really, really critical that we continue to, to get over it and to share in our successes with each other and to support each other. Um, You know, we, we, as we, as women, I, I will say that, one thing that has come out of the culture of the last couple of years is that I do think that women have banded together a bit more and we are a bit more supportive of each other and recognizing each other's successes and so celebrating those successes because if you succeed, then I can succeed. Right. And I had a podcast with Elizabeth Hill, who is a vineyard co-vineyard owner and an attorney by trade. And um, one of the things that she said that I've just, I keep resonating, resonating, resonating is that it's, it's, community over competition. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about the vineyard uh, environment in, in Texas specifically. But the more that I think about her words, it's just a general frame of mind right now that community over competition is really what's going to move everyone forward. Right. And the more supportive we can be of each other, the more the community is going to move forward and be recognized as a hit, right? And as women in finance, as you mentioned, we're really actually quite good at it. And I'd love to move the needle out of that sub 20% range. Uh, we, we really are very good in this particular because money is emotion and we're good at emotion. We are. Yeah. Um, but I do want to mention, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I do want to mention for women that are looking for a good book to read, even about like, what's a stock, what's a bond, what's a mutual fund, what's a money market account. You do have several chapters in your book that actually go over that. And again, chuckled when I read through some of that stuff. Um, you really are. It's very, no, it's a fun book to read. It's, you know, I, when I was reading through it, there was a couple times I just grabbed a glass of wine and I was sitting there reading it. There were a few times that I almost, you know, almost spewed it because it was, and I mean that from laughter, right? Because I'm like, Oh my God, she's just there. Like, wow. I wish I could be that brave. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder why I am. Um, and that, yeah, that's what I was going to say is like when, when we're making these strides in, in life as women and as a tribe and as a community, I hope women know that we can do it as women. So you don't have to be, um, in financial services to understand finance. And I, I did an Instagram post the other day. I, I own 17 companies right now. Okay. And there are various forms. One of them is a bar that sells great wine. Uh, but I own one of the, you know, the pedal bikes that go around town and you drink on them. Yeah. I own one of those. Just because I thought they were cool. I was behind one and I'm like, my town needs that. So I own the one that's in Daytona. And we didn't have a driver a couple weeks ago. They called out. And so I went and I drove the pedal bike. Um, I don't pay myself to do that. I did it because it's fun. And so I posted on Instagram a couple days ago, a picture of me driving the bike. And I said, you know, there's this misconception out there that you have to work in a corporate environment or you have to look like what a man that appears successful looks like. It's not true. You can be whatever, however you want to get there is how you get there. And you can, I built a, I built my first franchise out of arts and crafts. And um, I've made a ton of money doing stuff with furniture and decorating. And like you, you don't have to fit a mold. You can be a girl and be successful and do things that girls like. Um, I know someone that made a ton of money. She sells bows, like she sells cheerleading bows and makes a fortune doing it. But if you go to a traditional brokerage and say, um, I'd like to open an account and I sell cheerleading bows, they're going to be like, oh, why don't you go online? <laughs> you know, but it's because they don't understand that women can make money doing women things too. So, I, you know, whatever women out there are doing, I hope they just stay true to themselves and 
Um, yeah. Don't be afraid to be a girl. And there's a core group of men that are very supportive in our profession, in the financial services profession. If you know, if eighty percent are men and twenty percent are women, we get we, we need to get these guys on board to and support. There are some really good ones out there. Yeah. Yeah, there really are. They're they're on just as much of a mission to equalize the profession as we are as women. And if we don't involve them, we're kind of missing the boat. Like they can, you know, they can, but but unfortunately they're they're like, well, where's the line? You know, we don't wanna we don't wanna seem like you know, I've had guys say to me, we don't want to seem like these creepy guys that are like, come on into this profession, you know. Right. We want we wanna be supportive, but we don't wanna create a false environment either. And I, you know, I, I've had a lot of really good conversations over the last couple of years about how we, as a, as a group of individuals can, can equalize, not just in gender, but in culture, the, the profession a little bit more, because when you start digging down into different cultural um, upbringings, then it really gets small. You know, like if you look at a Chinese American or African American or um, Latino. Oh my gosh. The, the, the number of people that are, uh, of that culture that are in the profession is non-existent aesthetic. And yet that's not our country, right? Our country is much more diverse. So, so I, I, I think it's fun stuff like this, like your book, like your podcast, like your blog that show people, this is a fun fun profession and it doesn't have to be dry it doesn't have to be cold it's fun it can be fun you can stay true to yourself and make it fun and you can be successful and so that's um i so appreciate that you have taken uh this time out of your day to to show your personality and to share your thoughts behind writing the book and the podcast and for people that are interested in learning more about Krista you can go to bossladyinvestors.com and you can find her book there um, that links to Amazon you can find her podcast um, she does do some speaking events and she does have a blog that you can um you can subscribe to as well. Um, so Krista, I do want to say thank you so much. And, and in closing, I want to ask my final two questions that I always like to ask that rounds out nicely your vineyard. When you, uh, when you think about the definition of success as a 17 businesses that you're running, <laughs> when you think about your definition of success, what do you think about? Um, I wake up every single day of my life happy. And that's good. And I'm one of a very few handful of people I know that can say that. And Mm -hmm. it's not about the money. Um, It's about creating a lifestyle surrounded by people that you enjoy doing things that you enjoy. And, you know, just, there's always gonna be bad stuff. You're gonna have dogs barking in the background on the podcast and all kinds of things, you know, but it, if you surround yourself with good people, I'm very selective about who I spend my time with. Um, For a reason, my time is limited. It's a precious resource. And um, not snobby, just selective. And you just, you create a life that is yours to enjoy. And I, I had a happy life when I had $10 in my bank account and I have a happy life now because I've made choices to, to consistently work on my life being fun. So yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I always say, if you get to get up every morning and say, you get to go to work or you get to go do this or you get to do that, then that's, it's awesome. It's a plus, right? (laughs) I, I like to bring work on vacation because otherwise I'll not enjoy my vacation as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's what's the definition of work. I mean that, you know, I, I have a, I, I do plan on taking a vacation not, not this year, but the, the in 2020, I mean, a true blue, like disconnect vacation. Cause I do think that's important. It is important. It is. But I love what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work a lot of times. And so um, sometimes I'll be contacted by people that are blog writers and they'll say, Oh, let me take the pain out of writing a blog. I'm like, I didn't know I had pain in writing my blog. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> so, or the podcast or anything like that. So I love it. And so the final question is that I love to ask is when you need to recharge, when you need to refresh, um, what feeds your soul? Unfortunately, running. <laughs> I don't really enjoy it, but it really feeds my soul. It doesn't. It doesn't matter, and it's not. My knees don't appreciate it. I actually do have heel spurs. It doesn't appreciate it. But when I'm overloaded, when I'm stressed out, when 
um, when there's personal things going on that are emotionally affecting me, it's a guaranteed clear my mind is to run. Mm-hmm. Quickly followed by if that doesn't solve the problem, a nice bottle of wine. And I didn't say a glass, yeah. I a bottle. <laughs> so, um, no, yeah, wine and running. It keeps me happy. It, it's, and if people, right. And that's my release. So, and if people ever wondered why we connected, yeah. <laughs> I think you just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think anytime, anytime you move your body, anytime you get out there and just get in, you know, I do a lot of outdoor exercising and I would do it if it was cold outside too. Um, but I think connecting with the earth, connecting with yourself is just a really way to stay grounded. And then again, when, when that's not enough wine, Wine solves a lot of problems, <laughs> especially when it's shared with really good friends. I mean, you know, if I'm having a really rough week and I open a bottle of wine and we start to laugh and we just, you know, doesn't matter what happened anymore. The the stress releases. Not to say that the stress won't be there the next day, but there's nothing. That's one reason why when I said I'll cut everything out of my budget um, that I need to to start this business, but I need to continue to fund a little bit on the wine side. It's not about, it's not, I mean, for me, it's always about trying a new flavor, a new adventure, looking at a, like when I, when I go into a total wine or an ABC, it is about the journey that I'm about to embark on and looking for something I've never tasted. Or, you know, when you think about a South um, African wine, you think about the country and what they've gone through and, and the flavor that's coming out of there, and there are some really good Pinot Noirs coming out of there right now too. Um, it's it's about that journey. And and when you open up that bottle of wine and you have good friends sitting around, or it's just you and your husband, or it's just you, it's about the aroma, the flavor, the distraction and the journey. And that's why I wouldn't give that up. <laughs> and it is like when you sit down with a girlfriend and share a glass of wine and, and you your body relaxes and you share ideas and share stories and talk about just life. And it's, we need that. We have to have that. Yeah. And, and it can be with yeah. a spouse, a girlfriend, an adult child, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's, important. Yeah. but I have a question for you. What is your current favorite wine? My, oh, so I have two right now um, because I'm transitioning from the summer favorite into the winter favorite. We have a winery here in New York state that is called Prijan, and they are making a really good rosé Cap Franc rosé. So the 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 um, varietal of grape is Cap Franc, and they're making that into a rosé that you would just drool over. Um, as a tr- traditionally, I am more of a more deep red person, um, so I'll say that my favorite red wine. Uh, the transition is a Lemberger, which um, for people that are more familiar with the sort of the German grape, I think it's called Bel- Belfonkish. I always pronounce it wrong, but it's a, a nice, deep, heavy for the New York region anyways, red uh, wine that is super peppery. Um, Lakewood is the, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the actual vineyard, the actual winery that makes it. Um, and then if I threw in a favorite on the white side, uh, it, it would have to go back to um, Prijan because they are making a Riesling, a dry Riesling, which I'm not generally a fan of. That is, it will trick your taste buds like you would not believe. It is um, very oaky at the base of the wine. So when you drink it, it's very fruity up front. And then it transitions into a buttery, oaky um, flavor in the, in the um, like I said, the back of the wine. It, I, we actually, that's what turned us on to this winery because we had a bottle of it and it's called Gold, Goldfinch Riesling. And we couldn't figure out what it was. We we saw the label was a Riesling, but we're like, but it finishes like a Chardonnay. Um, so we went up to the winery and had a chance to talk to the um, the winemaker. And he put some oak chips in the very end of the fermentation process. And that's what gives it the butteriness. But yeah, um, those are my favorite right now. Uh, I do change. As what you region know. of New York is it? 
finger licks. Okay. Okay. So why like Buffalo area? Is that um, really like for most people, if I say Ithaca, Ithaca. Uh, they, they will know more. It's, it's really, really in the center of New York state. So if you're looking at a map, um, it's, it's, it, there's, there's a, a lot of different finger lakes, but the, the particular, um, wineries that I was talking about happened to be on Seneca Lake, oh, but there's okay. some good ones on Cuca Lake as well. Um, those are my two favorite, but Canadagua has some good ones. There's so many um, good wineries that we have in our region, and my favorites do switch around. Yeah, my in from upstate New York, so I it is a potential that I can actually go up there and try these wines. That's why. I'm yeah, here, so. yeah, and they do ship to Florida. Thankfully, a lot of these wineries do ship to Florida now. I say thankfully because <laughs> yeah. of you know, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, when I go into Total Wine down in Florida, they don't carry much of the. Um, the really dry reds or even uh, re- many of the Rieslings, they, they do carry some of the sweeter New York wines, um, which are fine too, but it's just not my taste. And so I do have to have, um, I do have to have some shipped down to me um, occasionally. And, uh, you know, and you're in Florida and we'll get together and have a glass of this amazing wine. Yeah, we do it. We call it our tour to Florida. So we go and see clients Um uh, like we do a circle basically and uh, Cape Canaveral, we have a group of clients that, so it's not far from Daytona at all. Yeah. and uh, I'm sure we'll be over there sometime in February, but Krista, I do want to say thank you so much. And as you can tell, when you get me on talking about my favorite wines, I actually have a list. Yeah. So yeah, there's not one. There's, it's, you can't have, I mean, no one can have just yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I uh, just tried some from Texas and I have to say, um, they they are doing some really unique things out of the at least the region that I tried, which which was West Texas area. Um, I mentioned Elizabeth earlier, and they're growing some Malbecs in that region. And Malbec happens to be one of the varieties that I do varietals that I do tend to like. And they're growing some really unique things in there. Um, and I'm hoping that they're able to ship to Florida relatively soon because I tasted one of their blends that has a malt good base in it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so good. Well, I'm to Georgia wineries because normally they're not, sorry, Georgia wineries, but they're normally not that good. Um, but there is a winery in Georgia that um, we have a farm up there and we went on the wine tour recently and it's um, Yona Mountain Vineyards. Okay. And they've got a Sangiovese that's incredible. And um, it wasn't a Cab Franc, but it was... I don't remember the other one, but they had another one. I mean, two of their wines, one, it was called Genesis was the name of it. It won all kinds of awards as it should have. Excellent. Excellent. And it is a really nice representation of how wine can be done well in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of wineries that I would not, I love them <laughs> as people, but I wouldn't recommend the wine. Um, but that oh, one, Arthur in Atlanta, go to Yona Mountain Vineyards. It's a really good winery. I think as regions start to figure out how to grow the grapes in their particular area, then the the wine obviously becomes better what we like. And the one thing that I always say to people, and, and maybe you do too, is just because you had a Cab Franc and you didn't particularly care for it, try a Cab Franc from another region or another year because they, or any varietal of grape, you know, don't, don't assume that just because you tried one that you're not going to like any, like I said, I'm not a huge Riesling fan, but I have found a few that I like. <laughs> so, um, on the wine side, we've probably lost a few listeners that don't particularly care for wine, but you that are like, what are these wines? So yeah, I, I'm a bit, I, you know, that is my hobby. And I think at some point in time in my life, I would love to explore that. Um, I can't say that I'll ever become a sommelier, but I would, um, I do have aspirations to continue on my journey to learn more about wine and the regions of wine and the way a wine is made and the winemakers and, you know, all of their education and experiences, because it's just so amazing to me how you can craft something so delicious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, and it's even switching to the, to the beer side. One of my businesses is a brewery and the, the brew master that we have, it's an art. It's an absolute, like I couldn't duplicate. If he gave me the same ingredients, told me exactly what to do, I couldn't do it. And it's it's fascinating just to watch and the passion that he exudes when he's, it's it's super cool. And it's the same with wine. It's just, 
it's yeah. art and it's a passion. So it's very interesting. What is your brewery? The world's most famous brewery. <laughs> My husband brews, he's a home brewer. So when we go to different places, we're always going to, you know, try some of the craft beer. I don't, I tend to drink the darker stuff, you know, stouts, the porters, that, that the darker ales, but they're not trying. Hawaiian coconut stout. It's not ours, um, but it's a Hawaiian coconut stout. And I'll send you the name of it. I'm not a stout drinker. It's so good. It's so, I mean, you're going to have one. You're not going to have more than one of them yeah. heavy, but it's good. And yeah, again, if you ever come through Daytona, um, the brewery right now, uh, we just, we just got approved for, for everything. And so come, it's called the world's most famous brewery because Daytona is known as the world's most famous beach. Um, so yeah, come check it out and you can taste some of our different beers that we have. I look forward to it. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your time and energy. And thank you for the book. And like I said, if for any listeners that go over to iTunes and rate us, we will pick the first one that we see comes through and mentions the book. The book is The Boss Lady Investor. Go on Amazon and get your own copy if you'd like. Krista Goodrich, thank you so much for being on the show today. We've loved it. Yeah, you've been awesome. Thanks for bearing with me and my crazy dogs. We love dogs and babies and wine. (laughs) And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.